lose everyone. I'm back, baby. It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great. Everybody else sucks. Oh, huh. oh no. It's every nightmare I've ever had. Excuse me. It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? But, but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It's all in sports. Jake Seeley, your host. You guys know to follow me at OnlyKid. Or I assume you do, because if you're following the guest I have today and came in from his tweets, I assume you know both of us at this point, because I consider him a friend in the industry, not just a colleague. He's one of the best. I hope you're following him as well. It's Mike Tagliere, NFL. And check out his work over at the great site of Fantasy Pros, where I'm ranked number five so far this season. It's only two weeks, though. I just have more to throw that out because you know me, Mike. You know how I love to do that. <laughs> but make sure you're checking out. Make sure you're following him. We're going to talk fantasy football week three for you guys. But it, it, look, he's got a kid. I've got a puppy. We've got insane schedules. And yet he still took the time out to come on the show. No, man, I appreciate you having me. I'm always down to talk football with you if I could carve out the time to do so. We, we both have puppies, actually, and I think that you gave yours a better name than I gave mine. Uh, mine I named Mitch, and uh, I'm, starting to to have the, I'm starting to have the feeling <laughs> that this Mitch, my dog Mitch, is going to be around longer than the Bears quarterback is. Bazinga. I was going to make a similar joke, but that was actually a really good one. But for everybody that's out there that might not know who you are or new to following you, I know it starts with the primer and tell everybody what that is and why that's such a great read every single week, but everything you got going on, including your podcast and everything. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I, I write the primer every week. It's a, a full paragraph on every player from every game. And the idea is that, you know, people look at rankings and they feel empty after looking at them because they want to know why they start a player, why they sit a player, whatever the case may be. So the primer is over 30,000 words <laughs> uh, that I write every single week and go through wide receiver, cornerback matchups, historical data, um, you know, points against uh, to certain positions, whether it be the wide receiver one, wide receiver two, whatever the case may be, uh, to give you reasons as to why you should start or sit a player. Uh, that's where I put my heart and soul into. Uh, you can find that on fantasypros.com. And uh, yeah, I do the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. Uh, we do it four, four episodes a week in season. So yeah, basically you just find all my stuff on Twitter. I post everything on there. So. <laughs> all right. So let me ask you a quick sidebar question before we even get into everything that I had for today's show. It's still fantasy football related because this is a legitimate question. And the only reason I even thought about this is because I'm watching my Twitter feed yesterday. I'm watching it now as we do the show. Cause I always watch it doing during podcast, just in case some news breaks and anything like that. And it's after week two, and I'm seeing what has what we've seen for the past couple of years as you and I in this business. It's not just fancy football, it's fancy baseball as well. And I'm seeing over the past couple of days of all of a sudden this reverse course of these people weren't saying this two months ago. Like, don't, stop. You weren't talking down Sony Michelle. The Kalen mm -hmm. Bellage all of a sudden went from the most hype overrated running back to all of a sudden, oh yeah, we were saying this all along. Good yep. players and bad players, and he's a bad player. And I'm not trying to attack the industry as more so the fact that pointing out that the industry does the same thing fantasy owners does. They, they reverse course very quickly. Yep. Are you one of those people? And I'm not saying as in, Oh, I'm going to immediately change my opinion and make it look like I've always said that, but how quick are you after two weeks to reverse course? Like, it's the buy low, sell high. Are you panicking on Diggs? Are you panicking on Michelle and his yards per touch? Are you, you know, all these type of feelings that you had and whether you agreed with those players, I'm just talking about, I don't want you to say whether or not you were Michelle positive or negative. Just if you had a take and an opinion on a player a month ago, 
is two weeks enough for you to reverse course or is it that's way too early at least wait till the end of the month it's kind of a strategy more than anything it depends on how desperate the situation is, really. Um, the one thing I cannot stand is people running victory laps after week one or week two. Uh, I, I really, there's a lot of people doing it on Twitter, and I don't know why. Um, you know, we're legitimately one eighth the way the through the fantasy season. If you go back through the last few years, you'll find crap atop the leaderboard in weeks one and two. Like, I, I, I'm not going to take you victory would, laps. It was so funny in week one. I'm not yeah. kidding you. I don't know if you saw it, Mike. Halfway through the Rams game. I tweeted out as a joke to everybody doing that. And I've actually joke tweeted victory laps myself because it's fun. And I think most people who follow me know that it's tongue in cheek oh, at this sure. point. But at the halftime of the game, I said, Todd Gurley's the bust of the year. And you would have been surprised like how many people are like, oh yeah, it's definitely clear. Like, took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, people are going to do that. Like they just overreact every single week. And unfortunately it's the it's the industry we work in right and some people like you know Dante Pettis for example if someone like Dante Pettis I I lowered him as the the preseason went on when you seen him playing into the fourth quarter you had to lower him down your board uh, but someone like him that's a dire situation that's where you have to say even even if I was a little bit high on him I need to move on because the guy's obviously not playing snaps uh, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't look great Mitch Trubisky another one that's a dire situation I liked him as a late round quarterback this year it's not worked out um, it's only two weeks but it has been awful Meanwhile, you have players like Mike Evans, and you could find the reason why he struggled. You have guys like O.J. Howard, who people are, are looking to move on from. And those guys are, are not in dire situations. They're playing snaps. They're going to be fine. It's just a matter of you know having a couple tough matchups to start the year. Maybe O.J. Howard needed a kick in the butt. Whatever the case may be, but those guys I'm not in dire situations with. I almost reevaluate those things after a quarter of the season. And I know that some people might say that that's too late, but... The NFL on a week-to-week -week basis, it's a very inconsistent game. And if you're right 60% of the time, you're doing pretty damn good. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. As we talk about all the time, is you know, I joked about the fantasy pros rankings, but at the end of the year, the top 10, I mean, that's like 65, 70 at best case scenario right at the time. I talked about it in my article this week. I said there's a reason people joke and compare us to weathermen. It's like you can be a better weatherman than other weathermen because you do more research. You know more than the average even analyst is what we call ourselves. But the truth is we're still doing our best job to project an unpredictable outcome which is a sport that's also by unpredictable players and like there's just so many factors is we're better than most but we're still never going to be 100 percent. otherwise we wouldn't even be talking on this podcast because both of you and i would be living in vegas well not living, probably living in california <laughs> and taking trips to vegas and spending multiple dues of money because we'd be millionaires so in any case let's talk about stuff that we'd want to project for week three and maybe is a dire situation in some of these quarterback situations so let's start off with the one that wasn't injury related it's the one that was just a straight benching. The time of Eli Manning is over. They tried it before. This time, they're doing it. And it looks like it's going to stick this time. Eli Manning finishes with a 500 record for his career, which we've seen the jokes. Just oh, That tells you what you need to know about Eli Manning. Now, look, the truth is, two-time winning Super Bowl quarterback, all that being said, hasn't looked good the past couple seasons. So Daniel Jones stepping in has shown flashes in the preseason. Now, I don't know where you are because you, as I do, for everybody out there that also might not know Mike Taglier like myself, evaluates college players. Now, the one thing we know about Daniel Jones, and this is an evaluation, the truth about Daniel Jones is go back and look. I think it's 70, 75% of his, uh, his numbers were on first reads. First reads, not even second, third, mm -hmm. first reads. That's Daniel Jones, I guess you could say flaw, because even as a rookie quarterback, the thing is, is usually they don't make the progression to the third and fourth read or even get back around to their first read to double check because they're rookies in the game speed. You hear it all the time. Is They didn't expect the speed to be this, no matter if you're a running back, wide receiver. It's always they talk about the speed, the speed, the speed. It's a whole other level. So 
Daniel Jones coming as the Giants quarterback, despite being more th- athletic, despite actually being able to move out of the pocket, despite his arm compared to Eli at this point, all that being said, what kind of reservations do you have? Is Saquon okay in your opinion? Is Evan Ingram okay in your opinion? Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, the big four, obviously Tate not for another two weeks, but where are you with Daniel Jones in the future of the Giants? I don't think it can hurt. That's for sure. I mean, Eli Manning, I, I don't think he was as bad this year. I actually think it can hurt one player. We'll get to it in a second. Go ahead. Well, I mean, Manning is like, he, he was dealing with a bad situation. Let's not pretend that anybody would have walked into the giant situation this year and done a good job. Like, you know, you have Saquon Barkley behind you. Yes, you have Evan Ingram, but it's a tight end. (laughs) I mean, the wide receiver position is dire. When you're starting Benny Fowler and Cody Latimer, it's not an ideal situation. So to see him complete, you know, 63% of his passes, I know he threw two touchdowns, two picks, but he was without Sterling Shepard for one of those weeks. The matchup was brutal for Evan Ingram last week. There were some factors that contributed to a slow start for the Giants team. I really wanted them to wait until at least Golden Tate came back to the offense for Daniel Jones so he could have somewhat of a safety blanket over the middle of the field. My question is, is what this Giants offense is going to do with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate because they're both slot receivers, ideally. Um, and we had Shepard play you know, 70% of the snaps in the slot in week one. So it's like, okay, do you get, that's the same role that he's been playing. So do you guys really plan on playing Golden Tate on the perimeter? Because that's not really a good idea. Fortunately for Daniel Jones, what I can say is that he's used to not having very many weapons. Going back to his days at Duke, he didn't have many guys to throw to. And yes, people like criticize his deep ball. I don't think they're going to be taking many shots down the field with the receiver core that they have. Daniel Jones offers a bit more mobility than Eli Manning, so I think it could help uh, someone like Saquon Barkley because he can extend the plays a little bit, maybe find Barkley who's you know coming out of the backfield on a broken play. But I don't, I can't really say that I think it hurts a whole lot of players. Um, I don't know if it really helps a whole lot though either. Yeah, see, the one that I think actually does hurt is to go back to my whole reads and the the fact of when it comes mm-hmm. to any rookie quarterback. In truth, if you go back to Peyton Manning, look at the number of interceptions that he threw. The truth is the reads, they want to simplify the offense and keep them from making those multiple reads. And when you talk about that and waiting for plays to develop, when Golden Tate is back and Sterling Shepard's already playing outside a good amount, but even playing outside even more, I think Golden Tate and then obviously Saquon Barkley out of the backfield, but Golden Tate and Evan Ingram are going to be the first and second reads. And I don't even know how much Sterling Shepard's the first read even before we get to when he comes back. So I actually think this could hurt Sterling Shepard. I think the others are okay. And I would actually try to go, you know, if I had the depth, sneak Golden Tate off somebody's roster and hold on for him to, for two more weeks because he could work well with Daniel Jones. But that's my concern. Is Sterling Shepard needing plays to develop on the outside and not making that time or the, having those time for the reads to develop? That's my concern with Daniel Jones. No, I mean, it's fair. It's it's definitely a fair point. And Daniel Jones is not walking into a great situation either. It seems like Sterling Shepard (laughs) is going to come back. And don't forget, I mean, Tampa Bay through the first couple weeks, they've only allowed, I think it's like 6.4 yards per attempt. Now, granted, they played Jimmy Garoppolo and, uh, well, Garoppolo missed a lot of throws in that game. And then they played Cam Newton, who everybody saw on Thursday night, missed a whole ton of throws. So, there were things that were going in their favor, but it's clear that Todd Bowles has, you know, improved that defense considerably uh, from last season. So I don't, I don't know if Tampa Bay is the matchup that's like fantastic, but I'm, I'm surprised it's taking place already. I'm surprised, I'm surprised that it only took two weeks for them to say, oh, we're done with Eli Manning. We're going to move on after paying them the money that they did. So uh, good luck to Daniel Jones. He looked fantastic in the preseason. I wasn't low on Daniel Jones in the draft process, like especially as much as some people were. Some people were trashing him. I wasn't as low on Daniel Jones. I didn't think they needed to take him where they did. They probably could have got him at 17, but it always goes back to the idea that if you have conviction on a player and you believe that Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback, you have to take him without any chances. You, you don't yeah, know for a fact that he'd last till 17. Somebody could have trade up and traded up and took him. Um, and, you know, based on his preseason, again, it's preseason. It is what it is. 
he looked like a really competent quarterback. Now, again, we're going to we're going to see as this as this plays out, but uh Again, if they had conviction in him, him, I can't blame them for it. <laughs> I trashed him, and I'm I'm so conflicted because on the one hand, I, I want Dave Gettleman gone, so yeah, I, sure. I want him to fail and not be right about Daniel Jones. On the flip side, as Daniel Jones, the player and the person, I want him to succeed. Just as mm-hmm. even I was one, of, and you just said I was one of the people who trashed him. I was one of the people who said that I think his ceiling is Eli Manning in this prime, which is okay. It's above average, and yeah. the biggest reason is because it's the short to intermediate game. It's those first reads. I don't know that you can succeed in the NFL if you don't have the ability to make the second, third, and fourth reads or even come back around. And I like, of course, he can turn it. You know, look, development is not over. This is, he's a rookie. He hasn't even played a game yet. So I'm not saying that the, the book has been written. All I'm saying is that's my biggest concern. So anyway, let's talk about another one. You brought up Cam Newton, who I jokingly said on my other podcast, I said, strip the name off the back of the jersey and put Joe Flacco because that's who he is now. He's Joe Fl- He's six yards per attempt and not running the ball. He's Joe Flacco. Well, in any case, he's not playing this week, but Joe Flacco is. He might actually be out for two weeks, according to some reports. Whatever the case may be, Kyle Allen's at quarterback. Going back to the whole Reed scenario, an inexperienced quarterback in Kyle Allen, are you downgrading anybody? Because my concern now, similar to that situation, is DJ Moore and Greg Olson are going to be the first Reeds, and Curtis Samuel might be the one that's hurt. Yeah, he's the one that definitely take, gets the, has the most effect. And I know Curtis Samuel had a, <clears throat> a decent game last week, uh, but it was based on volume there. I don't think they're going to have Kyle Allen drop back and throw the ball 20 or, or 30 times. So, so thumbs up for Christian McCaffrey? It has to be, right? Like, I don't know. Some people are even more concerned after what happened last week that you just take <laughs> – I love this. And you're going to probably chuckle the same way when I say it, Mike. Is, oh, it's obvious. You just take away Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> I mean, if people could do that, that they, you can go back to last year and wonder why didn't you guys stop him when he's scoring three touchdowns against you? People tried to take Barry Sanders away for years. Correct. They tried. They tried. <laughs> he was tried. the only thing that they had on that team. I, uh, yeah, I, I downgrade the whole offense um, with Kyle Allen under center. Now, granted, Cam Newton hasn't been very good, but it's still an NFL quarterback with experience that's thrown to these receivers that has continuity, that has chemistry with them. DJ Moore is probably the one that's least affected considering he's a, his average depth of target is much lower than someone like Curtis Samuel. Greg Olson is a safety blanket. I don't know if Kyle Allen has the, that connection to Greg Olson that maybe Cam Newton did. Uh, so, which could be somewhat of an option because there's things that, you know, there was like broken plays last week where I don't think the play was necessarily supposed to go to Olsen and Cam rolled out <laughs> and just found Olsen standing there with nobody around him because nobody wants to cover, you know, a 35 year old man or whatever, 35 year old man, whatever he is now. But um, I downgrade the whole offense. Unfortunately, it's just it's an ugly situation. I just don't think this team's going to score a whole lot of points. And that's certainly concerning. All right. So now the next one of four, we still haven't even got through all of them yet. Saints, Teddy Bridgewater is in at quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater actually played a significant part of last week's game because of Drew Brees' injury, who is out for at least, it sounds like, six weeks. Their bye week comes in right around the injury of when he should be back, so it's going to be potentially longer, but at least right around that range. But Teddy Bridgewater, under center. We've seen Teddy Bridgewater a long time ago. It wasn't with the same team. It wasn't with the same weapons. It wasn't even with a very good offense at the time. It was run through Adrian Peterson at the time. So, that's one of the things I think people fall into, and I, I know you agree with me, in traps and fantasy and NFL just in general with evaluations is not understanding. It's a completely different scenario. I mean, t- year to year, this is why strength of schedule and not strength of opponent, co- corners and defensive ratings when it comes to you know rushing the quarterback or stopping the run and stuff like that. Strength of schedule means nothing, even within year, because so many things change. All that being said, Bridgewater is the change. Bridgewater is at quarterback. Targeted Michael Thomas and Jared Cook a good amount. 
the concerning part was Kamara saw less touches and we saw more going to Latavius Murray. So what is your outlook for the Saints with Bridgewater under center? Is there anything you're taking from week two that means anything to you? Uh, that the Saints might go to Taysom Hill before long. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I, I it might be a better option for the offense. I know it completely changes everything, but Teddy Bridgewater, when he suffered that nasty knee injury, he lost a lot of what appeal he had. He was somebody that can create time on his own. He could somebody that can run. Uh, now he's a pocket passer that doesn't have a big arm. Uh, watching him throw into double coverage, especially at Jared Cook, a guy that can't win a contested catch situation to save his life, I question his decision-making. Uh, you know, Drew Brees has made Sean Payton a lot of money. He's also made him look like one of the best player play callers in the NFL because Brees is one of the most accurate players in the NFL. You have Michael Thomas who creates separation. That, that's, that's, that's a given. But Ted Ginn, older wide receiver, going to match up with Shaquille Griffin this, this week. They, they need to figure out a way to get Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray more involved. Unfortunately, they're going into Seattle against the Seattle front seven. That is the strength of the team. Um, I worry about this offense. I've lowered uh, Kamara down my board. Like if we were drafting again today, he would be probably my number five running back. And that's sad because I had him up at number two behind only Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I would take Dalvin Cook over him right now, and that's weird to say, but that's where I'm at with this offense. Latavius Murray goes to a borderline borderline flex, and I don't even like him there, uh, whereas Michael Thomas is going to see volume, and he might even have a higher floor with Bridgewater considering he's willing to throw into tight coverage and not really care, um, but the ceiling goes away because Teddy Bridgewater is not the type of quarterback that's going to throw 400 yards and, and, and three touchdowns in a game like Drew Brees can, so I've downgraded the entire offense, unfortunately. it's. I don't think that Bridgewater is the answer. And I, I think that I don't even think the Saints were really convinced when he was basically almost let go from the team. So I think Taysom Hill, it's a chance that if Bridgewater sucks, that they go to Taysom Hill relatively quickly because this is a team that was built to go to the Super Bowl. Like they need to win now. And Breeze is towards the end of his career now having a thumb injury. There's a lot of red flags here, but I, I think he has a very short leash. Okay. All right. So let's get to the next one. The fourth of them. The Steelers are now with Mason Rudolph. Unlike the Saints, their quarterback isn't coming back. Uh, officially, Ben Roethlisberger done for the year. Now he may come back next year. He was talking about his contract, and then he still sees a future with his team, obviously. But we also saw the Steelers make an interesting trade because they traded a first-round pick for what they turned into a safety was a corner which kind of tells us they feel pretty good about their chances with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. Mason Rudolph initially was drafted with the assumption by a lot of people out there covering the NFL and the draft that Mason Rudolph was going to be the future, not a guarantee because they didn't spend a first rounder. I think it was a third, if I'm correct, off the top of my head. It was a third, yep. Yeah, so it was kind of one of those picks where it's like, hey, maybe we found something here. If not, maybe we go back to it again. We're in a year where we don't need to make that decision now. All that being said, we know the numbers of Mason Rudolph and James Washington playing together. I even brought up in the waiver column for people that are out there just want the quick version, the too long I didn't want to read. It, 33% of the yards went to James Washington over those three years, and almost 40% of the touchdowns went to James Washington of Mason Rudolph. The connection's there. But again, that's college. That's maybe drawing a parallel that's uh, not fair. But the two-part question is, one, Mason Rudolph, your confidence in this offense maybe taking a step forward, maybe just being what it was before with Ben Roethlisberger. And then two, because of that connection, is James Washington now on the radar for the number two, especially with Moncrief dropping everything that comes his way? 
Yeah, Moncrief actually uh, dropped in snaps last week. He's uh, he's basically off the radar. I wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers cut him at some point uh, because he looks terrible. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked at the contract situation, but he, I want to say he dropped four balls and one Mason Rudolph pass that went Moncrief's way was uh, it literally went off his hands and it was intercepted. So the one interception that Rudolph threw was directly a result of Dante Moncrief just not being very good. So Washington is someone that I'm stashing. I don't want to start him right away uh, against San Francisco. Akilah Witherspoon has played really well, oddly enough, which is something I didn't think I'd ever say. But he <laughs> looks better this year. Richard Sherman is aging, but he's still a competent corner. And James Washington doesn't play very much in the slot. The question is, is Deontay Johnson, he's someone that they're they're starting to involve more in the offense. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see how much of a role he has in seeing the snap counts with Mason Rudolph, but that connection with Washington on the deep ball is fantastic. That's why Washington is an awesome stash on your bench. I was, I'm happy with Juju Smith-Schuster because, you know, when Rudolph came in, 26, uh, over just over 26% of his targets went to Juju. I know it's a small sample size, but you have to feed your guys that are playmakers. And Juju was being underutilized by Ben Roethlisberger. He only saw 11 targets on 62 pass attempts from Roethlisberger. That's not enough. Um, so is it an yes. upgrade? Based on the, the 2019 Roethlisberger we've seen, yeah, absolutely it's an upgrade because that was terrible. Like, he was do legitimately think, Do you awful. think any part of it might be the fact that Juju can't handle, quote-unquote, number one attention from defenses? Well, they're moving him into the slot quite a bit, and a lot of shadow cornerbacks don't even go into the slot, so it's not right. based just on that. He is going to have tougher matchups. We always knew that, that he might be bracketed a little bit more, but that's why I always wanted them to start Moncrief and James Washington on the perimeter, or Deontay Johnson, and put Juju in the slot like he played last year because then teams can't do that. It's a lot harder to shadow a wide receiver if he's in the slot, you know, 50 plus percent of the time. So uh, I like Juju this week. James Washington is someone probably to keep on your bench. Okay. All right, let's talk about some situations to go back to what I talked about at the top of the two week. Hey, we're getting excited about some of these guys. And I want to know, I'm going to set up each question is going to be the same for you. Are they now already a must start? And then why I say that in that inflection is because these aren't guys that were on many radars to start in your standard size league. And even if they were, it was, hey, you know, let me stash this guy for some upside. Not holy crap through two weeks. They've been great. Now, now they have to be in my lineup. The first one was somebody we weren't even sure was going to be healthy for the beginning of the season. Marquise Hollywood Brown has been terrific through the first two games. What anybody could have hoped to see from him is he officially must start territory. Uh, absolutely. After playing 50 snaps last week, um, like cause after week one, I was hesitant on him. I, w I was telling people to like approach with caution because he had only played uh, 14 snaps uh, in week one. And right. I was like, are they easing him in? Was it a product of the, the, the you know, because if you watch that Miami game, Miami just didn't show up like they they legitimately just didn't show up on defense. Uh, but then you watch the next week and it's like all of a sudden you have 13 targets. This is a guy during the draft process, I compared him to Deshaun Jackson. That's the kind of type of player I felt that he was. And I know it's like a common thing. Oh, a fast guy that's a little bit smaller. But Marquise Brown, it, he, there's no defender that can sit here and hang with him for more than a couple seconds. The dude has stupid speed. He would have contended with John Ross for the fastest wide receiver time in the 40 if he had run it. Uh, and now going up against Kansas City in a game that has a 55-point over-under, like that game should be massive. And it's like, think about getting Deshaun Jackson in his prime getting 13 targets in a game like that's literally drool worthy <laughs> so Marquise <laughs> Brown I actually have him as like a borderline wide receiver two this week so I'd say yeah he's someone that with the way Lamar Jackson's throwing the ball he's a must start 
It's funny you said that is because that's the exact comp that I've been making. Even as of today, they remember that, look, there's going to be some games where you get frustrated too, because it's going to be one catch for 17 yards or two catches for 30. And it's just a down week, but that's the inconsistency. But when you said it, Deshaun Jackson is prime, despite having those six or seven disappointing games, you just had to keep him in your lineup because any given week could be the 30 point game. And it's actually pretty hard to predict. It wasn't even like a guaranteed, hey, he's facing a tough corner. He can overcome the tough corners, and he could go quiet in a big matchup. So I'm with you. I think he's a definitive wide receiver three going forward. All right, so let's talk about somebody who's even ranked higher than him because he has been their offense. I mean, he's basically <laughs> been the offense. And that's Scary Terry McLaurin. Uh, two nicknames right off the top. Actually, we're going to have a third one here in a second. Uh, this, uh, Yeah, Scary Terry McLaurin. Uh, look, I admittedly... Was So two things. I was very high on him, but I was high on him because I was expecting this to be a stash and wait in deeper leagues for when Dwayne Haskins took over because Dwayne Haskins Mm -hmm. and Terry McLaurin had that rapport. And what I love about Haskins is that he keeps receivers in motion and they don't have to stop. He's just so good with his ball placement that I expected this to take some time. I wasn't expecting Terry McLaurin to be a thing already, and he is the offense for the Redskins. He is, uh, but I mean, unfortunately, he's not a must-start because I'm not. I wouldn't play him against the Bears this week. Um, he's outside my top 40 wide receiver plays this week, and I unfortunately, Case Keenum, guys, I'm sorry if you're if you're listening and you're you're like, oh no, I'm sorry, guys. Case Keenum's not going to complete 69% of his passes and throw five touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, I, I, for, in a two-game sample size, I don't think he'll ever do that again this year. Uh, so he he got the best out of him and Terry McLaurin to me is a sell high where if you're able to sell him for like wide receiver three prices I would absolutely do it really I wouldn't do wide receiver three I would do I would do fringy wide receiver two it's a bad team like if somebody came to me and offered me like a Larry Fitzgerald I'd take Larry Fitzgerald if somebody offered me uh, Mike Williams I'd take Mike Williams over see yeah that's what I'm saying I I consider those guys kind of top 25 30 ish yeah, I have him around 30, and that's where it's like, that's where I, it's, so for me, I oh, have McLaurin as like a wide receiver four, and is he startable? Yeah, absolutely, but is he startable in bad matchups? No. No, I would say the bad matchups were the the defense and the offense of the opposite sides of the ball that we're talking about, so like where it's the Bears where I don't expect them to put up 30-plus points, because right. even if, if you were talking about, uh, although the Cowboys, defense ended up being miserable through the first two weeks i'm trying to think of like a team that actually has a high scoring and a anyway point oh the ravens ravens there you go a team that has a great defense but can put up 30 points in a blink anyway because the redskins defense is so bad that even like if let's put it that way i would start terry mclaurin against the ravens this week but i agree with you in the bears because i don't expect the bears to get past 20 at this point until we see trubisky actually show up for a game sorry so third and hey look I, i joked that this is another nickname it's the gazelle, Tyrell Williams. I, I, just by volume alone, because he is their offense too, outside of Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller. But that's what we like in fantasy. It's a, it's a like it's just three people. We can focus on three people, and that's it, and not have to worry about anybody else. So that means Tyrell Williams is a must start, right? Uh, oh, don't hesitate. Oh, this, come on. A, hold on. There's an asterisk with this one. So usually, yes. But this week at Minnesota with a hip injury, I'm a little concerned. Oh, well, the hip injury. But even at Minnesota, if he was 100%, I wouldn't even care. I would because it's like Trey Waynes has the athleticism to hang with him down the field. Uh, last year, Minnesota allowed the six fewest plays of 20-plus yards uh, to a passing games. In yeah, Minnesota, but teams just Xavier don't... Rhodes has been more like bumpy roads than roads closed to steal that from Dane Martinez. I'm with you on that. Like, like Devonte Adams made him look silly last week. Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't have the stat right in front of me. But I want to say that Minnesota over their last like 
uh, it's going back like quite a while. I want to say over their last like nine home games, they've allowed like six passing touchdowns. So if Tyrell Williams, if he, he doesn't catch a touchdown, are you confident that he could put up enough yardage against Minnesota to finish as a wide receiver three? Probably yeah, because not, I think I, it could be like Sammy Watkins last week. He's going to get 13 targets. So I'm okay <laughs> with the, here, here's what I'm saying. Like, I understand your point, but and again, the hip issue is obviously the concern. Like I'm saying, if he's 100%, the reason I say is because I think the volume is going to keep him around 60 yards. And I know people are going to be like, well, 60 yards. But 60 yards is a wide receiver three a lot of weeks, especially if it's coming on like three or four receptions and half a full-point PPR. I just think that floor, because the volume is so ridiculous that I, I got to start him every single week. Like I don't want to sit there and watch and miss on a Tyrell Williams big play because I was worried about it. Here's a question for you. I'll give you like two guys. Uh, would you would you start him over someone like Jarvis Landry and Mecole yes. Hardman? Absolutely. Uh, Mecole Hardman, probably. Yeah, I would still start him. But just unless I'm looking for a boomer bust, but Tyrone Williams in the right matchup is boomer bust himself as well, just mm-hmm. because of his big. That Jarvis Landry's done. I'm not. A, I'm not starting. He's not even a must start anymore. He wasn't even a must start start the season. Yeah. Jarvis Landry's left out. He might have a nice game this week if David Njoku's out, which it sounds like. He might be able to bounce back a little bit. But if he does, don't everybody sell the living hell out of him. Sell him, sell him, sell him. (laughs) Well, because I think you and I talked about last year when I wrote the article at the time when I said that Jarvis Landry has been remarkably consistent on a fantasy points per target basis. If the targets aren't there, Jarvis Landry doesn't produce. It's very simple. It was 1.4, 1.5 fantasy points per target for his entire career. When the touchdowns went up, the yards and the receptions came back a little bit, which it just was weird how it's just been very consistent. Yeah. All right. So do we have a nickname for Emmanuel Sanders? Like the freak? At this yeah, point? I think that's the, the cyborg. Best yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, whatever he did in the offseason, spent time with Steve Smith for whatever Steve Smith did when he had this same situation, he's come back and you've seen the jokes and the people saying it because it's true. Because if you've watched Emmanuel Sanders, it's not just the fact that he looks 100%. He looks better than he did at times last year. Mm-hmm. Is Emmanuel Sanders back to being a must start because similar to Tyrell Williams, he's the volume in the passing game for that offense? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Like we just saw what he did last week against the Bears. Like if you guys missed that touchdown catch he had in the corner of the end zone, it's like not many. I, I would say maybe 5% of NFL receivers make that catch and get their feet down. Uh, it was remarkable. I, I, I think we should just call him the outlier. Because players just one. don't come back from Achilles injuries, especially at his advanced age. Um, but man, I, I, he's one of those players that I'm, I admitted already. I've already admitted I was wrong because I wasn't drafting him anywhere. Because I was like, I, I, you know, I'll bet, I'll bet against Achilles every day of the week. But he's proving me wrong. Like he just, man, he looks so good, and it, it, he's fun <laughs> to watch too. Like you know, he's just a slippery wide receiver, and Flacco has gravitated towards him, rightfully so, because Cortland Sutton can't generate any separation so um yeah emmanuel sanders is definitely a must start okay and let's continue hey look we have another nickname here this is kind of fun <laughs> baby shark eh, baby do, do, do. i know that's in you i know yeah <laughs> you got that going on all the time over there unfortunately dj yes. Ch- shark even with garter Minshew at quarterback is he volume the production the first two weeks touchdown I and mean, he's getting the yards getting everything i don't know how you felt about this but this isn't to be like, look at me but this is the one thing I said, and I think this is what's helping him. So if you look at this wide receiver core for the Jaguars, the only person talent-wise that has the ability to be a number one receiver in the NFL sense, as in he can be that position as leading the wide receivers in that number one role, was Chark. It wasn't D.D. Westbrook. Despite I like D.D. Westbrook a lot. I don't know if I said it to you. I've said it a million times so people will know this. I called them Antonio Brown light because I feel like calling somebody a poor man's version also has a negative connotation. And It was a positive thing. It's a, he's not Antonio Brown, but he's kind of like him. So 
the thing was is I didn't see D.D. Westbrook as a number one. Marquise Lee, even a healthy, not a number one. I thought Chark could be a number one. I still wasn't expecting these kind of numbers already. The Jaguars liked him a lot. Like when they reached up to grab him in the second round, I was shocked <laughs> because like I had Chark as like a fourth or a fifth round guy that I didn't think that uh, I, it felt like a complete reach. And after watching last year, it looked like it was. Um, beat reporters were continually saying that he was the most improved player this offseason. Um, him and Gallup were the two wide receivers that from last year's class that I kept on hearing great things about this offseason. But I didn't have any faith in Nick Foles. Um, he, he's more of like, he's not an accurate deep ball thrower. He's more willing to throw it up in one-on-one -on -one situations. Did I think Chark could win those? I mean, we didn't see it last year. Um, and then it's like when all of a sudden he gets hurt and they go to Gardner Minshew and it's Minshew is gravitated towards DJ Chark. So while he's not must start yet, he's moving up in that range. Like I have him as the wide receiver 44 this week in a matchup against Tennessee that it seems like it's a tougher matchup than people kind of anticipated it would be, but he's getting to that range. Like he's moving up the ranks. And if you wanted to tell me that he's the wide receiver to own in Jacksonville over DD Westbrook moving forward, I, I would say they're very close. And I, I don't think you can answer it wrong one way or the other. So is he must start though? No, not, he's not, I must start <laughs> just yet, but he's getting, he's moving in that direction. I'm gonna say, or can can we call him a wide receiver four must start? Can we do that? Is that kind of is that trying to skirt the line there and you know straddle the fence? Because I think it's fair. well, the half fair. point, full point PPR. If you're starting a fourth wide receiver, is your flex option? I would put him there. I would put him in the flex must start. He's on his way up, but flex must start. All right. So, how about another Deshaun Jackson type, at least for the consistency in the big plays? John Ross. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we have a nickname for John Ross, but the interesting thing, it's funny, I got pushed by somebody who was like, he's not their number one. What are you talking about in use? And like, they, you still saw that they were targeting Tyler. But I was like, no, no, no. Again, I'm going to go back to the numbers. The numbers don't lie. The first two weeks, John Ross has been on the field and used more than Tyler Boyd. I'm not saying it makes sense, but it's a new regime and maybe they want to treat him as the number one. He's been on the field as number one. He's making big plays. One of them was in garbage time, but garbage time counts. It did for the Jaguars a bunch of years ago with Blake Bortles. Is John Ross a must start? Most of the time, yes. Um, at Buffalo, maybe not. <laughs> so it's like that whole must start thing. It's it's so matchup dependent with these guys that are breaking out because you just you, you don't want to see a matchup like Buffalo pop up on the schedule. Well, then it's not must start then, right? Right. I, so I I I'll, I will say that. Should we have called this matchup proof? That's basically what when I when I hear must start, I think matchup proof, and okay. I don't think John Ross is quite there yet. Uh, if there's one silver lining against Buffalo, is that none of their cornerbacks run faster than a four four five forty. Um, Ross can get behind him. Uh, the safeties are good there though in Buffalo. Um, I just don't have faith when quarterbacks going to Buffalo. It's it's turned into a really tough place to pit play, and I just don't think Dalton throws for three hundred yards and multiple touchdowns again this week. So Ross is down on my board, but he's someone that I told. He was someone I was really high on, and people told me I had to admit that he was a bust. And I was like, I'm still buying low on him this offseason. I did a dynasty article saying to buy low on John Ross. Well, he was because, free. He was like, right. He was, <laughs> there was undrafted, and then there was other players, and then there was John Ross. I got him for th a third round pick in a couple dynasty leagues, and I was more than okay giving up a third round pick that I actually think that, you like you overspent possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so the thing is, Ross, former top 10 overall pick, and I told people, I said, remember when, when Robert Woods was with Buffalo and he was a, a slot receiver that was labeled as the most innocent efficient wide receiver in football then free agency came and all of a sudden Sean McVay brings him over to Los Angeles and people are like why the hell would you sign Robert Woods nobody wanted to draft him that year nobody did draft him that year um, and then all of a sudden he turns into a good football player who would have thunk it 
So it's like, I didn't want to give up on John Ross because he'd only been through one coaching regime. Like somebody like Dante Moncrief, we've seen like three different coaching regimes just move on from him. I was, that's why I didn't like Moncrief this year. But Ross was through one coaching staff. And I'm like, I don't want to give up. And if you have Zach Taylor coming in and using John Ross in that Brandon Cook's mold of that McVay offense, not to say that every coach can make McVay's scheme work, but it looks good so far. John Ross is definitely a hold. Some people are looking to sell high. I'm not one of them. But he's not quite. He's close. He's not quite must start. Right. And he has one of the most brutal matchups in the league. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he does have one. All right. Can, Can I couple these two together? This is just tight ends. Andrews and Waller must starts. It has, yes. Yeah, just, absolutely. Th- like th- that's, those are, those are zero gonna, questions. Okay, I was going to mute mute on my own show. If you said no, one play, <laughs> no, one player that I, you didn't mention on this, that I do believe is, is becoming a must start is DK Metcalf. Really? Okay. Uh, do you know that he has 53% of the Seahawks air yards this year? I mean, and I did, but yeah. some people are listening and they have no idea what that means, but so what that means. So by comparison, if you go to last year, literally the best wide receivers in the NFL get those target shares. Um, Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins were the only wide receivers in the NFL to get more than 38% of their team's air yards. DK Metcalf is two, literally like two weeks removed from having his knee scoped. He's a rookie. Oh, he can't run routes. He can't do this. He can't do that. Russell Wilson is so freaking efficient. And if he throws it in the vicinity of DK Metcalf, Metcalf can go over anybody in the league to snag a ball. He has a, he's another guy that has a tough matchup with Marshawn Lattimore this week, but DK Metcalf, if you have, if you can get him in a league where someone's like, uh, it's a, it's flash in the pan. DK Metcalf is going to be an every week start very, very soon. Uh, see, I, I think that he's in the realm, a completely different player. But in the realm of what we were talking about before with like the Deshaun Jacksons of the world, there's, look, there's going to be some very quiet games. But to the upside alone, right? this is the question I always ask myself when I'm doing this and saying, you know, do I want to start him every single week is, do I just want the Randall Cobbs of the world? Do I want that? And it's so like, if you just need the safe points, if your team is that stacked and you're not even worried about your matchup and you just want to know that you're going to get six or seven points, then fine, start like a Randall Cobb. And I'm even including this week where the fact is that they have no Michael Gallup for a few weeks. But if you're looking for any upside at all, why would you ever bench even a Hardman at this point, a Hardman or a Metcalf or a John Rawls? You're like, why are you benching them? Because you're worried about only getting two or three points? Well, if the difference between two or three points and seven or eight points is going to make this difference in your matchup, I'm thinking your, your team might need some improvement anyway. <laughs> That's a good right? point. Right? Am I wrong? It's true. It's true. And that, I mean, DK, as I mentioned, like just the fact that he had this knee scoped a couple of weeks ago, I thought he was going to get off to a slow start. We knew that his route tree was a bit limited, but he's shown tremendous. Like, still the, is. Adult- he doesn't need to do more if he's playing, but, like you mentioned, with Russell Wilson, the way yeah. that they're playing. Yeah, and like he like last week against the against Pittsburgh, he showed in a few plays where he's adjusting to the ball in the air very well. Um, it wasn't an easy matchup against Joe Hayden last week, and I, like I said, and and even going back to week one, William Jackson is no guy that you could just walk all over. So, yeah, DK is um, proving a lot of people wrong. Okay, so then on the flip side of things, in a different light, you got any favorite buy lows through week two of people that are panicking? Metcalf was one of those people to buy low. And I, I know some people are like, wait, he's not really a buy low because like he's almost, had almost like games, a buy high, depending. Exactly. It's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, if you're looking to buy low, I think David Montgomery is still someone that I would buy low on. Uh, it's clear that the bears are slowly, the, they, they wanted to bring him on slower and they can't afford to do that with the way that Trubisky's playing. This offense finishes a top 12 scoring offense last year with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. And going back to, to last year, Trubisky had the start last year too. 
Like he had a, a horrendous start and that's why people started comparing him to Bortles. And it made sense because like, if you were to watch the Cardinals game that he played last year, he was missing guys in the flats and you're like, Oh my God. And then something clicked in week four and, and he, they basically, and Nagy had a good, he had a good matchup against Tampa Bay and Nagy kept pushing, even though they were up four touchdowns. He's like, go out there and throw the ball. He wanted to build his confidence. I, Trubisky needs a game like that. Can it happen against Washington this week? Sure. Yeah. But they're going to run the ball an awful lot. And we watched Jordan Howard last year finishes a top 20 PPR running back in this exact offense. Uh, and I don't think Jordan Howard is, is the running back that David Montgomery is. So if you can still buy low on Montgomery where somebody thinks like, oh, I just don't want to be attached to this offense, it's only going to get better. And I, I would even buy on the flip side, Miles Sanders. I told people, yeah. I said, look, either you're drafting them and understanding you're going to have to live through the frustration and be patient or let somebody else do it. And then after, like we right around now, week three, week four, go in because it, to, to Jordan Howard point, eight for 18. At some point, I'm not expecting Doug Peterson to give Miles Sanders 70% of the workload. That's just not who he is as a coach. But he gave – you were the one that pointed it out. You're the one I, – I mentioned this stat all the time because you tweeted out two years ago. Darren Sproles was the only person under his system that ever touched the ball 60% of the times. It happened three times. You're the one who tweeted that. It's a great stat. But he sometimes gets close to that 60% or even 55%. If you just get Miles Sanders to that point, he's an RB2 in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that offensive line hasn't done much up front, which is really odd. They have one of the most talented offensive lines, but no running back in Philly has done well. Uh, Doug Peterson did, I mean, they, uh, it was the running backs coach, actually, uh, that came out and said that he is bouncing runs a little bit more often than they like, and it's shown in his yards per carry. It's been brutal. Uh, but I, I'm with you on Miles Sanders. He, if, if you could find a, a running back in the RB3 range that has top 12 upside, Sanders is that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? Actually, let me throw one at you. Would you try and buy low on Joe Mixon now or even after week three because of the tough matchup and you might still not be 100%? Or do you ever, because similar to David Montgomery that you brought up, which is still a buy low in a lot of people's minds, but some people were like, oh, well, look, he had a somewhat decent game and scored against Denver, so now I'm not selling high. Would you ever, if you could get him low now, that being Joe Mixon, would you do it or would you try to get him even cheaper next week? I would try and get him even cheaper. Uh, again, this tough matchup, it's possible that Mixon scores a touchdown, but I think his fantasy owners are going to feel like more like relieved than anything because it's not going to amount to a whole lot of yards. Buffalo does allow touchdowns to running backs. That's this just what they do. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a high yardage game for Mixon. He's, he's really struggled when it comes to getting anything going. Lost another part of the offensive line last week. And against San Francisco, it's not like a... I know San Francisco's played a lot better this year, but I don't think they're a, a run-stuffing defense. I mean, we saw Tampa Bay move the ball on the ground against them last year. So I'm not buying Mixon right now. He wasn't someone that I was buying even pre-draft. So um, if, you wanna, if you're someone that likes to, to take on some risk and you're okay with it, O.J. Howard is uh, one of my favorite by-lows in football. Um, I don't know. I, I, if, I, if, he ha if he goes off against the Giants, I'm turning around and selling him again immediately. <laughs> Well, I don't. Here's my concern. I'll tell you why. And maybe, maybe you have a different stance. This is exactly what this is 100% why. He, under 50% of his plays on the field went for routes. That's my biggest concern is if mm -hmm. Bruce Arians is going to see how good of a pass blocker he is and keep him in. If we're talking most tight ends in fantasy, if you ever heard, hey, he's only running routes 45% of the time, we're not even talking about him. The only reason we're talking about him is because he's freaking OJ Howard and he's a beast of a player. But again, if, if it's a great matchup this week, and I still feel like unless we legitimately see almost actually, you know what, let me let me spin it this way too is, is it maybe you try and pick the matchups with OJ Howard where 
the team can't get after the quarterback so he doesn't need to block or I, I, I just I'm so cooled on this because Bruce Arian continues to use him to block. Well, Bruce Arians, they're going to use him as a blocker. That's one of the appealing things about O.J. Howard is that he's never going to leave the field. I mean, he's played 110 snaps through two weeks. I don't want him if he's not leaving the line of scrimmage. (laughs) Well, he's still running more routes than than Cameron Braid, so it's not like just like he's a blocking tight end and that's what he is. O.J. Howard needs to be utilized more, and it's like it's someone like Bruce Arians is a smart enough guy, I would think, to find a way to to utilize him and build some confidence for Jameis Winston because he needs some of those. What if isn't? Yeah, and Howard is someone who could take a seven-yard pass to the house. He's like a George Kittle-type tight end where he has that athleticism, and we've seen it last year. Um, I'm buying Howard because there's no – like outside of Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Ingram, and Mark Andrews, there is nobody that you could tell me that you feel confident every – I mean, Darren Waller is like a guy that has a high floor because he's someone that could see 100 targets this year. I could see it 100%. But none of those guys offer top five potential. OJ, like outside that range that, that from what I can see. So I'm going to take OJ Howard. Someone asked me, I said after the la- last week's game, someone asked me on the stream and it was before TJ Hawkinson w- did nothing in week two. I said that I would have traded TJ Hawkinson for OJ Howard and people are like, right. Whoa. And all of a sudden TJ Hawkinson, one catch, seven yards. That's going to happen with Hawkinson. He's a rookie tight end. OJ Howard is a buy low for me. Uh, again, it's not, it's not for the, the, the risk averse people, but I am buying O.J. Howard. I have him ranked as my number six tight end the rest of the year. Okay, fair enough. All right, so let's get out of here on this. Uh, we like to help people in DFS, and I'm sure you guys have heard you mention it before, and it's not like, oh, look at me. I'm getting, like, all this. Like, No, this is just the truth. I met the guy in person. Fanshare Sports is a site that I use when you hear me talk about looking for sleepers and blind spots and stuff like that. This is where I get it from. So this is just me just legitimately trying to help the guy out. And he, I, look, he gave you guys a discount. If you put all in kid, you get 20% off if you want to go to Fanshare to get their Fanshare Sports Pro subscription, which tells us these things. So the point being, Mike, is I like to look for players that have high upside and that people aren't talking about because we see it in fantasy all the time is we get the disappointment from the week before, especially in DFS, and people don't want to turn back to the player the next week. But in general... Who are two or three fantasy DFS players that you're looking at for week three? Because I have two that are very low talked about so far, and and we might change that, though. Mike Evans. Mike Evans is uh he's you're gonna have to pick your spots and he's not someone I'm buying low in and redraft just because there's there's some concerns I have with his schedule. But this week against the Giants, oh yeah. Like Janoris Jenkins is the best cornerback they have, and he hasn't been like very good this year. Even if you go back to last year, Evans tagged him for six catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah. And if they don't shadow with him, that means DeAndre Baker's gotta cover him. DeAndre Baker. (laughs) Do you know what his grade is on Pro Football Focus? My lord. No, no, I'm telling you. 272 yards and two touchdowns on 13 targets. That's it. I know. Do you do you know? Have you seen his grade? Isn't it it like one? Oh, you're talking about like his actual grade. No, I haven't. Yeah, his defensive grade. DeAndre Baker's defensive grade. No, I have not. It's, <laughs> it's not 25. good. 25. What? I've never seen anyone that low ever. That 25. is terrible. That is terrible. I mean, the only thing that can stop Evans this week, honestly, is just like somebody else going off like OJ Howard or Chris Godwin, which they both can. But Mike Evans is the logical one to get going in this matchup. And I think this is the week where people go, Oh, that's there's the Mike Evans that had 1500 yards. And so to your point, Chris Godwin's projected ownership is third and Mike Evans is down tied for 17th. So there you go. Yep. That's why I like him. I like him in cash and tournaments. Honestly, I'd play Evans in cash this week. Um, Another one is uh, Keenan Allen. I think he's cash and tournament viable against Houston. Bradley Roby is their slot cornerback now. And Bradley Roby couldn't play on the perimeter. 
Like that's why Denver, the team that needed cornerback help, let him go. Um, Keenan Allen, he saw like, what was it? 16 targets last week. And Darius Slay is really good at football. Uh, and he helped slow down Keenan Allen. Some people might be like, ah, eh, he had a good matchup and he didn't do much. No, this is a good matchup. Like he's going to destroy Bradley Roby this week. So, uh, Keenan Allen, nice bounce back spot. Okay. Any more before I give you mine and see what you think? I want to hear yours, man. All right. So two wide receivers and a running back. Uh, the first wide receiver, somebody we brought up on the show already. And if he's a hundred percent in practice, Stefan Diggs is tied for 84th in projected ownership against the Raiders. He's down to 6,000 to 6,700 bucks. I'm getting in on Stefan Diggs. If you're going to give me a down week of low ownership on Stefan Diggs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Cousins hasn't looked good because he's been under crazy pressure. Um, like last week he was pressured over 60% of the time. Like that's stupid. Like, I don't even know how to explain how bad that is. Like they, they couldn't stop green Bay. Um, but the Raiders are not getting pressure. And if you give cousins time, Diggs is going to eat you up. Thielen's going to, that's like one of the better stacks of the week. Like if they want to get cousins going uh, at home, that's, uh, that's a phenomenal matchup against the Raiders this week. I don't, I don't know why you put that freaking song in my head when you said eat you up. I was like, never going to eat you up. That song, as soon as you said eat you up for some reason, popped into my head. That is so good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to give you up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Of course. It's the, it's the, of course you've been Rick rolled, man. Come on. Yes. I was going to say we're eighties kids, man. Yeah. Uh, never going to eat you up. Never going <laughs> to let you down. I'm going to score a touchdown. And something else. Anyway, let's continue. Wow. <laughs> I'll have to think of some lyrics. I'm going to think of some lyrics for that. I'm going to rename it. All right. So my second wide receiver down 600 on both sites. We've already brought his name up on the show again. Right now against what you brought up is maybe it's a better defense than we're giving him credit for, but maybe it's just, you know, hey, they'd be able to get after the quarterback. Their run defense, there's another hint for you. Isn't as good as people think, but I like the wide receiver anyway. Because he's tied for 71st on fan share. Can you guess who it is? Who is it? Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. Nobody that... wants Juju Smith-Schuster. He's $6,900 Again, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to put him in every damn lineup, but at that price, you're going to guarantee I'm going to own some Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, Kawan Williams is like a, a mediocre cornerback, and that's the, who he's going to match up with the majority of the time. Um, Smith-Schuster has run 47 of 74 routes in the slot. So um, he's playing over 50%. It's like close to 60% of his snaps there. It's, if Rudolph can be competent, yeah. I mean, people might be fading him. I'm really torn because I've heard some people say that Smith-Schuster is going to – this upgrades him because Roethlisberger has been playing like crap. Some people have said that they're, they're, they're lowering him into wide receiver three territory, and I'm like, no. wow, I think I fall somewhere in between. But the matchup this week kind of makes sense. It's weird that they're six-and-a-half-point underdogs against San Francisco. I'm taking the Steelers with seven points there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have no issue with that call. All right. So here's the last one. It's in the same game and it's on the other side of the ball and it's in the backfield because I guess everybody's really scared about the usage from last week, but Matt Breida, he's tied for 71st down there as well, down at 5,400, 5,900 against the Steelers. I guess, like I said, it, this could be twofold. Would you do that in DFS like I would? And then two, cause we didn't bring that team up. Are you worried about the usage last week? Because Mostert saw almost twice as many snaps as Breida did. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't ever like to play 49ers running backs. I don't. I don't think that Kyle Shanahan knows what he wants to do. I, what a surprise! I, I, Shanahan like, like screws us around. I literally said it in the primer this week. I I started writing up that game and I said Shanahan or Shanahan's 
basically yeah. it was uh, back from his dad uh we, yep. we developed that term and that's how i feel now i mean like matt Breida, i know he had 132 total yards last week but i'm it's a disappointing game in the fact that he finishes the rb 16 in a week that the 49ers rush for 240 yards and two touchdowns like that's that's disappointing he had 13 of the 41 touches i think it's more kyle shanahan trying to keep him healthy because he was someone that was just banged up throughout the entire year it was a blowout win i i uh, He's like a he's like a low end RB two, but I can't trust. I just can't trust those guys. Like if you want to play him in a tournament, that's fine. But I have a feeling some people might be thinking the same thing. Um, can I give you one under the radar? And I'm curious to hear his, his percentage, sure. his ownership. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Hmm. Let me check. Let me check wide receivers. Let's he is one of he my favorite tournament plays this week, and um, basically because Chris Harris Jr. they they decided that they're going to switch him to a shadow role, so he's going to follow around the number one receiver, which means Devonte Adams, which means Isaac Yaidam, their uh, second year cornerback that was demolished in coverage last year. <laughs> that dude's been torched in coverage; like he's not very good. And uh, Valdez so. <laughs> Scantling should take advantage of that. So, do you want to guess where Marquez Valdez Scantling is right now? What is he like, fiftieth or something like that? Keep going. Really? Yeah. Oh, I Try like tied for ninety six with Dante Pettis, Chester Rogers, Deion Kane, and Preston Williams. Those are the names that he's down by in ownership projections right now, as of today. Marcus okay, so Valdez Scantling, forty three hundred and fifty three hundred. If I win people a lot of money because <laughs> I I talked about him, I expect a share of it. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. I'm still never going to eat you up. <laughs> never going to let you go. Let's say, I'm trying to still think of words for this. Never going to eat you You're up. You're not going to get it. Never going to let you down. I'm going to run around and hurt dudes. There you go. There we go. That's where we go. Got it. Done. Oh my God. The freestyler right here. New, new lyrics. Hey, I, you missed it back in the day. I did the XFL when it was that. I did the XFL is back to Backstreet's back. It was miserable, hilarious, and so just wonderful stupidity all at the same time. That sounds miserable. It does, but it was great <laughs> because I can do stuff like that. You know what else is great? Segways. Segways that are saying what else is great is Mike Tagliere. So hopefully you're following at Mike Tagliere NFL. And once again, tell everybody where to find everything and what you they should be looking for this week as they get ready for week three. Yep. All my work is on fantasypros.com. And uh, Thursday morning is when my big article comes out. Uh, again, that's called The Primer. I highly recommend you guys check it out. And if you don't like it, seriously, come and yell at me, but I promise you won't. <laughs> I can promise that as well. But if you do, you go yell at Mike, not me, because you know, <laughs> you're following me at All in Kid, which by the way, like I said, is that same promo code you can go over get for Fanshare. And also, if you put in the name of the show, theathletic.com slash all in sports. Very look. It's very easy to remember the promos for this. That's get you forty percent off the athletic too. So if you're not doing fancy pros, if you're not doing the athletic, if you're not doing all this stuff, I mean, you're just selling yourself short, and that's why you're listening to this podcast though, because you want the free version. So, in any case, I'll be back next Wednesday. Make sure you check out Mike's work. I appreciate you guys listening. Have a good one and good luck, guys. 